Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blended. Can you believe we're already at episode eight? I am so proud of how the show has been received by everyone. We have had such great feedback week after week, and the positivity and open-mindedness that I'm hearing from all of you is so very inspiring. It shows how many of us really are open to educating ourselves, supporting our communities, and making changes for the future. It's so awesome to see. As always, keep getting in touch with me on social media. I love it. And you can give me your thoughts on a particular episode. You can let me know what topics you'd like to hear us take on in upcoming episodes, because I'm open. I'm open to everything. Now, you'll also notice a little change this week because the absolutely fabulous Madison Mobley has agreed to join me on the show as co-host. And so welcome, Madison. Madison has been a panelist on the show before. She's joined me on Thoughts and Coffee, and I cannot say enough good things about her. She's smart, charismatic, has a great perspective, and I know she's going to be a real asset to Blended Ongoing. But before we get on to today's episode... Let's take a moment to learn a bit about our sponsors because those sponsors are really who are bringing this episode to life. Ships. Ships is a new platform bringing neutral bid and ship freight solutions to bid market shippers, working to simplify the complexity often found in logistics. The Ships platform closes the gap between shippers and forwarders, creating an accessible and hassle-free supply chain for all. Ships is dedicated to diversity and inclusion and is so excited to be a part of Blended. If you'd like to find out more, go to ships, that's S-H-I-P-Z dot com. Apex, diversity and inclusion is a core value of Apex Logistics with over 80% minority employed and 42% female executive leadership. Apex understands that celebrating diversity in the workplace is vital and impactful, bringing together a variety of backgrounds and skill sets to create a strong and collaborative culture with highly skilled individuals. Our partnership with Blended emphasizes our commitment to this important principle and visit them at apexglobe.com. Fair Market is the intelligent sourcing platform that empowers organizations to move efficiently, purchase the goods and services they need. By equipping procurement and supply chain teams with automation and data, Fair Market promotes competitive bidding while reducing manual work within existing processes. Leveraged by innovative procurement departments across a number of industries, such as Univision, ServiceNow, and the MBTA, Fair Market aims to revolutionize the way organizations make purchases. And they are super excited to be a new sponsor of our show, Blended because diversity, equity, and inclusion are top of mind for them, not only as a startup, but really ingrained in their culture. And so if you'd like to learn more about them, please visit fairmarket, F-A-I-R-M-A-R-K-I-T.com. So welcome back to Blended. I am once again joined by a new group of inspirational professionals who are passionate about people, about social issues in our industry and in the community at large, and who are going to share some stories. They're going to share their stories with us to help shine a light on the big topic of bullying, either professionally or personally. So I want to welcome Grant 
Everett, Judy, and of course, my co-host, Madison. And I'm super excited for all of you for joining me today. So let's get started with some introductions. Tell us who you are, what you do, and how you identify. So I'm going to start with myself, because I realized on most of the Blended episodes that I have never introduced myself. So my name is Sarah Barnes-Humphrey. I'm the founder and host of Let's Talk Supply Chain, as well as the host, obviously, of this Blended podcast. I identify as she and her Caucasian female with two incredible stepchildren and two incredible fur babies as well, living in Toronto, Canada. So Madison, over to you. Tell us who you are, what you do, how you identify, and anything else that you would like to share. Yes. Hi, I'm Madison Mobley. I'm currently the head of belonging, inclusion, and culture at a company called Fair Market. We're in business to make enterprise procurement fair to buyers, salespeople, big enterprises, small and diverse businesses. I identify as Black, millennial, queer. I think that's about it. <laughs> Love it. Love it. I'm so excited because this is the first episode that you're co-hosting with me. Yay! And it's not Yay, a, it's a big day. It is oh. a big day. It's a huge day. And I'm super excited for that. All right. Over to you, Everett. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Everett Phillips. I um Caucasian male. Um I feel privileged with the, the different things I've had in my life. Uh, my wife and I um were foster parents, adopted five children who are now all adults. Um, I've had the privilege of living in different parts of the world. Uh, I grew up in New York, but I lived in Sweden and Brussels and, and have traveled extensively. Um, and so I've also identified as an entrepreneur. I've started different businesses, uh, particularly in the field of robotics and in supply chain. And i um, very happy to be here with uh, everybody else and, and look forward to sharing. Awesome. Thank you, Everett. Judy, over to you. Why don't you tell us who you are, what you do, and how you identify? Hello, I am Judy Fox. Yes, that is my last name, and I identify as a fox. I'm kidding. <laughs> I So Judy Fox, I am a LinkedIn business accelerator. I have uh, been in business for over 20 years. I'm Gen X. I am a top 10 listed by Yahoo Finance. I did not make that listing, but as a top 10 LinkedIn coach to look at for 2021. Nice. And I identify as Gen X, uh, mid 40s and white Caucasian. Um, I am a single mother to a nine-year-old and to a fur baby that's looking at me right now with cute little doggy eyes, a Sheltie. <laughs> Mine are looking at me too, so don't even worry. And of yeah. course, last but not least, Grant, welcome to the show. I'm glad to be here, Sarah. It's uh, who knew when I first met you on Clubhouse that we'd end up getting getting to do this great, great type of activity. And and I wouldn't have come to Clubhouse if one of my uh, one of my consultants and my team didn't say. I met this woman, Madison Mobley. She's fantastic, and went on and on and on about Madison. Who so said that? <laughs> this is how, yeah, this is how we all get together. It's a small world and little things turn into big things. I'm really happy about it. 
Um, I, I am Grant Kaplan, and I don't identify as a fox because I'm not as good looking as Judy is. But um, you know, I, you all can't see this because this is audio only. But this is such a beautiful looking crowd I am on with. I feel like I'm a two, and they're all a ten. So, oh, uh, but I'm a nice shallow male like the rest of many of us. Um, I identify as Jewish, left-handed, short. Let's see, what other minorities can I bring out? Gay. Um, what else? I'm really thrilled that, Madison, when you said queer, because when we were brought up, queer was a bad thing. Queer is now just a cool thing, and it's been reclaimed, so it can no longer be bad. Yes, and taking, taking back the power of the word I love, I still can't bring myself to say it about myself because it's ingrained in my head. So we'll go with gay. I have um, a fantastic husband. I cannot believe how fortunate I've been blessed to have a husband like I do. He's, he's the nice one and I'm the difficult one. And we have one yeah. difficult 15 year old that we adopted at birth in the birthing room, cleaned her up. We love her. She's, she's crazy cool. And she's pain in the neck by definition of being 15. So um, <laughs> I'm, I also feel fortunate in that I've been involved in the Global Business Travel Association uh, because my firm is a consulting firm in business travel, and they have appointed me to be chairman of their first ever globally curated DEI committee. So exciting. Yes. Yeah. That's a, congratulations. And thank you. Thank you. Very excited to do that. And I bet one of you might show up at one of my meetings one day to, to give a little talk if I persuade you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we can't wait. We can't wait. All right. So we're going to kick off this discussion. I'm going to turn it over to Madison because we're going to talk a little bit about the differences between bullying, harassment, and microaggressions before we get into the topic of bullying and talking about our different and unique experiences. Madison? Absolutely. So thought it'd be good to start here because I hear these terms used sometimes interchangeably, but I think there are fine lines between the three. So I'd be interested in, in everyone's feedback on this, but the way I kind of learned it is bullying is unwanted recurring aggressiveness or hostility that causes either psychological or physical harm um, and creates what we'll call a psychological power imbalance between the person that's being bullied and the person that's bullying. Harassment is any behavior based on an individual or group's membership in a protected class that's also unwelcome and creates a hostile environment. Then microaggressions are verbal, behavioral, or even sometimes environmental uh, indignities, let's call them, whether they're intentional or not, that communicate either hostile, um, prejudicial slights or like derogatory insults towards any individual or group, but particularly culturally marginalized individuals or groups. That's kind of how I've come to know the three terms, but open to, to feedback on where those land with each of you. Judy, I know you're, I know you're waiting, you're waiting for me to say your name. Go ahead. Well, they flow into each other because many times somebody embodies pieces of each of those and can one day be more of a bullying type of energy versus 
having more of a harassing energy. It just depends on the day, depends on the person. But in what I experienced in the workplace, um, and especially as women on women, bullying potentially, that might look different as men to women and who is the power dynamic of what you said is the bully or the harasser, the microaggressor. So from my experience, it was a ton of what I call potentially micro actions that were very hard to put your finger on, but I don't, it was my first time experiencing that. And I would say from a female to female dynamic, it was a lot of mental um, wearing down in micro ways that were hard to pinpoint. And there were major moments but they were harder to link to all the micro things happening along the way that were just completely debilitating. So Grant, did you want to jump in there? Yeah, it's interesting. I get a lot of intrigue in hearing people at the, at the millennial level and maybe younger to talk about these things. I, I adore to a certain degree that that all these sub-definitions exist. As an older person, I'm 54, although I tell people I'm 29, so I just probably ruined that one. Uh, <laughs> and I get guessed for 38 when guys are hitting on me. Um, so um, uh, I didn't grow up with the concept of microaggression. We had certain things that were just kind of accepted that this group was this way and that group was that way and whether it was true or not was irrelevant because the individuals we knew were different than the groups, right? Well, that doesn't excuse a thing. It's absolutely, it's interesting to hear you say that, Judy, because I think about, about bullying and you didn't even mention man-on-man bullying. Oh, yeah. Right? And, and it's something that I hear most of my, my uh, female-identified friends forget that men bully each other also they are more concentrated on women being bullied because it's really frankly what we see more of right and we can we can hear more of but make no mistake it exists and your government bullies you also Hmm. and sometimes your federal government your country level government bullies you sometimes your provincial level government bullies you or state level government in the u.s um I was on the board of Equality Texas, and we were pushing for equality-based legislation, and anti-bullying was the biggest thing we did. It had nothing to do with with being LGBTQ, but the government was setting up situations where certain groups and certain types of behavior were bullied, and so laws have to be set aside that way. And as part of advocacy committee and GBTA, same thing. We had to come up with ideas of how to how to save the business travel uh, industry from being bullied by the government. Hmm. Interesting. You know, those are really interesting, you know, points of view and thoughts around where bullying can come from. I like the fact that we started with the difference between bullying, harassment, and microaggressions. We got into a little bit more concentrated with Judy, and then Grant really brought it into perspective as to each one of those three things can really come from very different places, right? And things that we don't even really think about. Some things were have been happening for so long, sometimes we're just like, 
you know, that's the way that it is. And I don't know how we're going to change that. Right. But I think it's conversations like this. And as we get more into this conversation that are going to make an impact and we're going to be able to make a change, because I think the biggest part of all of this is understanding and learning from different people as to what that means. So let's talk about our individual experiences of bullying. Um, too many times, there's a lot of us who have it, whether per professionally or personally. I think the personal side of bullying and, and that happening in your personal life, even before you get into professional life is important. Um, I'm going to be talking about my experience because I think it really goes into and goes to show how people handle bullying in their professional life and maybe give some understanding around why people handle it one way versus another, depending on what that journey looks like. So Everett, let's start with you. Have you ever experienced bullying? When did it occur? Let's not name names here. We're just gonna talk about the stories around it and talk about how it made us feel so people can understand that and maybe talk about solutions down the road. Well, I think Bullying is one of those things where, I mean, everybody experiences at one point or the other. Uh, as a child, I, I would have experienced it more. I mean, there are specific instances where <clears throat> I remember uh, when I was elementary school age, I was riding a bicycle by myself in a new marina that was just set up and just enjoying the fact that I had my bike really in a happy place. and and um there were two kids there older than me who just took it upon themselves to make that day miserable for me you know they threatened to throw me into the water they took my bike they threatened not to give it back they, it was just about them taking power away from me right now I, I was in a good place i was having a good day i wasn't you know i mean it was not on my radar to to have this when i saw the two kids i didn't get little hairs in the back of my head thinking oh danger you know i just thought two other kids in, in, in the park. And I was just having too much fun or they were jealous that I was able to be by myself. I have no idea why, right? That, that's actually one of the mysteries of, I think the difference between when bullying occurs as opposed to harassment and microaggression. I, I think, you know, microaggression, it's usually you know, you can pinpoint it to the, somebody feels bad about themselves in some way and you remind them about how they feel about themselves and they're acting out against you because you remind them of something, right? You can, you can kind of start to put logic and wrap around why is that happening, right? Or harassment, I think, is more class-based where, you know, you belong to a certain class, you feel threatened as an identity of that class against some other class of individual and, and, and you can pinpoint the essence of their behavior coming out of out of this class identity or or so to speak right as its root but pure bullying seems so random and and you feel so helpless when it happens because i mean you can't you know and the wrong place wrong time just doesn't feel good as the explanation of why it happened and i think it leaves you for the rest of your life i know it has with me of why? Why did I? You know, I've had a very good life. I, I've achieved a lot of things. I live near the ocean in Southern California. I mean, you know, but 
that moment and several other instances like that where it was just about people taking power from me when I can't pinpoint a reason why they would take that power. And I think that's one of the essence of bullying. And one of the reasons why bullying is so powerful is because when you're in a workplace and somebody takes your power, it quickly brings you back to that place when you were a child and this kind of event happens. I mean, yeah. a lot of workplace bullying is not really about what happened in the workplace. It's what happens, what does it remind the person and where does it bring them back to? And then their behaviors are coming out of that place, right? And, and I think, you know, having raised five children who have had trauma in their lives, I'm sensitive to this issue of where trauma captures people unaware, right? You, they, they don't expect it to hit them. I mean, they were perfectly fine. And then all of a sudden they find themselves back there, nine years old, 10 years old, three years old, pre-verbal, right? And especially pre-verbal activities is where people get angry and they, they do terrible things in their anger because they can't find words for it, right? And so that's just some of my experiences and 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 some where I'm coming from in this conversation. And I don't want to take everybody's time, but we'll we'll come back to some of these things. Yeah, no, I think that that was so um, I think that, that was so powerful, right? I mean, I, I said that before is, you know, everything is about your journey leading up until that point. And like you said, if something reminds you and somebody goes off the handle, it's really about understanding where they're coming from and what, what that particular situation could remind them of. Who else wants to share their bullying experience, Judy? I think I would just add, and I'll share my bullying experience, but the, the why thing still came up for me as an adult All because the, the reason it felt like I couldn't figure out why was not about why I could sense that there was a power dynamic but why was it me in the department? That became a bigger grappling issue was why did I become the, I don't know what to call it, but there was a clear the focus of attention. Yeah, because there was a clear dynamic that there was a person before me that was still in the department and she, the manager shifted her direction of bullying and microaggressions. She was just happy to do all three, I guess. Um, and she shifted it from that person to me. Mm -hmm. And so my experience ranged from, uh, I mean, to kind of give you an example where I might be, and I wouldn't know when it was going to happen. And I think that's the kind of fear that you live in, where you think you're kind of towing the right line. You're, you're just doing your job. I constantly kept hearing the words, just keep your head down, do your job, fly under the radar, and this person will leave you alone. And I had, already, I had already had, I don't know how many years at that point, I had already had, um, um, 18 years experience. So I was coming into a position fully experienced. I was not, you know, right off. I, I knew how to do the job I was going to do. I was actually a little bit almost overqualified, which I think became a sticky point because I was older, more experienced, and she was my manager and she was younger and only had like four or five years experience. Whereas I literally had the master's degree and what she was managing me to do.
but I was fine. I was fine having, oh, what were you going to say, Grant? Mind if I read the tea leaves here? Yeah. She clearly was insecure in herself Mm -hmm. and she saw you as who might want her job. And because she didn't believe in her own capability, then you became the target of everything. You became the symbol of all evil because if I'm better than you, then I must be good. Wrong. Mm-hmm. I was happy to have my go to work. I didn't want to manage the department. Like, you know, what's interesting is like, I could have, I could have told her that 30,000 times to reassure her that I did not want her job. I did not want her responsibility as I wanted to go to work, do my paperwork, go home and be a single mom. So I was a freshly single, freshly single mother. Um, and it was just, it was, it became so toxic. Toxic's the only way I can describe it because to reach a point where as a knowledge worker in a, in an industry where I could be working, I could have done this job from home from a computer. Turns out this whole year of 2020, everyone did their jobs from their computer in the department I was in. And she acted like, you must be at your desk at the exact hours that I expect you here as if I was a time clock. And when I was working on a project at 10 p.m. at night, got her a presentation for her to have by 8 a.m., when I was just two minutes late to sitting at my desk that next morning, two minutes, it was aggressive. I'm writing you up mm. for what? <laughs> like, yeah. So that's where that kind of behavior, but, I couldn't quite figure out how to fix that. Like, no, and you can't, you know, and you can't fix it. You can't fix it. And, and I think you're also right on the mark on location title plays a role, right? Prior history before you arrive plays a role. I mean, there's a a, a famous uh, talk when uh, Tony Robbins talks about negotiating. He would walk around the conference room if he was in one with people he was negotiating with and he would stop and ask a question at the head where the chairman or person of power sits. He wouldn't sit there, he'd just stand there to ask questions. And he would change the dynamics of the room in a negotiation because people in the room were always used to saying yes to that chair, right? So, so you know, people use position, physical location, uh, location on your body, location in your title as, as focus areas for where power is drawn from or where power is put, including aggression. So, so it makes sense for you to say, well, you know, I was... It was my chair, it was my seat, it was my location, it was my title, because those, mm-hmm. those things play a role. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's, that's really interesting. So one question I have for you before we move on, Judy, is what was the lasting effect from that? Did you have any impacts from that? I, it actually triggered a domino effect, which turned out to be really positive, was I finally had that that moment in time where I put my finger on the table physically and said, this is enough. Mm-hmm. This is enough. And that, that moment I wanted to throw up. I wanted to, I was just so done, but it was two years, two mm-hmm. years of those moments where I never knew when it was going to hit me. I never knew when it was going to be up here because we had good moments there. It was like a, toxic relationship it it really was and i finally said this is enough and that moment in time i 
just decided I'm job searching, I'm looking, but that's exactly when I started making content on LinkedIn. And I said, I don't care what this company thinks. I need to be myself. I need to put myself out there in order to get another job. Whatever happens from this point forward, they are not part of my story. That is now you're a successful entrepreneur. I am. And that is part yeah. of what's interesting is they said almost because you were caged in a way it forced your wings when you went out. I had a lot of people tell me it looked like I was flying for the first time. And I was just being myself now fully because I had no more F's left to give. Does that, is that okay to say? Yeah. <laughs> as long as we keep it to the, to the one single letter. Thank you. <laughs> um, but I would just say the next thing in my, my uh, bucket of what I decided, what triggered was hiring a relationship coach. I wasn't trying to hire somebody because I wanted to get into it. Normally you think relationship coach, she's trying to date or get married or, but I was like, I got to figure something out here because something in this dynamic in this relationship, I also was a part of allowing. I could but have would, put my finger down sooner, but when you say I'm not you saying felt it's my sick. fault, but yeah. But when you say you felt sick, I mean, that's a sign of somebody who has conflict avoidance. I mean, I have it, right? So I go through great lengths to avoid conflict, right? I, I am the person who will give, who will yield, who will find a way to make peace, who will, you know, um, and, and, and sometimes people mistake that quiet reserve and that willingness as, as a weakness or as mindlessness or something like that, which is dangerous because then they are taken by surprise by, the fact that I'm not, I'm very strong-willed and I'm very opinionated. I just like to avoid conflict and, and, and I bottle it up and I don't like to release it. And, and so it's a sign that you have the similar way or approach because that, that word, I felt like I was going to throw up when I put my finger on the table. Yeah. And, and what's funny is I couldn't imagine that word because when I lay down the law about some bullying item or about some inter interpersonal relationship, I feel all confidence in the world. And I only feel that because I thought it out in advance, right? But then I came at it all guns blazing, ready to ready to take care of it, but not guns blazing to hurt anybody, guns blazing to sort the situation out and with the determination. And it's interesting to see that different approach of, of, of strong-willed but quiet and then I'm just a big talker, right? I got to get it done now. And I, two years, you are so, you must be so patient to have waited for bullying to cease after two years. I can't stand to watch it 20 minutes. But, but uh, Judy, Judy, that, that day that you put your oh, finger on the table, did you know that morning that was going to be the day that you put the finger on the table or, no, or it, it was just, just it was just the final straw on the camel's back is what caused you to do it at that moment? It was a combination. I'm glad we're talking about this because I think maybe I'm hoping people listening also realize I felt as a single parent that my ability to provide for my family and not have the support of back and forth between dad and mom, I was the primary caregiver. So the weight of that on me felt so heavy that I was mm -hmm. nervous to disrupt my income, my what I considered safe and secure and having- right insurance and having all the things that you think about when you think about right. being a single parent. 
Right. My child was so important to me of providing and caring that I was willing to put myself through whatever I had to put myself through. And I think that's why women and men sometimes take positions and things that happen to them and they just muddle through because on the other end is people who need their mouths fed. And well, they feel you, you describe someone who feels like they're being held hostage. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Which is why people described me as an uncaged bird that was like free for the first time when I said, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, but that, that, that feeling of risk is, is, is how workplace bullying really takes hold. Right. I mean, and cause like in supply chain, you know, I, I think about this on a regular basis. You have, you have a buyer who's responsible for securing goods for a company that really is being utilized by another person in the organization, right? So let's just focus on a manufacturing line. And so when that line is down, all the anger falls onto the buyer, even though it's not the buyer's fault, right? The buyer depends upon the supplier to deliver what they promise when they promise it. And, and the buyer though also is challenged to find lower prices, in other words, to change suppliers and when they do, supplier feels held hostage by the contract because they need this contract. The buyer feels held hostage by you know, the anger that they'll get from other members of the organization. You have this system of dynamics within the supply chain for bullying or harassment constantly on each of the parties for various reasons. And you know, you really have to avoid that. We, we are supply chain consultants just specifically in business travel. So it's a company's contract with an airline, a company's contract with a hotel, with a travel agency, and so on. And we know what a good deal is, and we know what a bad deal is. But when that procurement expert feels the need to really hammer that supplier, right? We've all been there. Go hammer them. You have to be the voice in the room that says, no, don't bully your supplier, but come to a place of mutual advantage without it. And, and that transfers on to personal life too. any kind of bullying is you've got to get in there, get ahead of it and say, oh, no, 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 nobody's bullying anybody here. We will get done what needs to be done in this room, but we're not going to do it through that means. Yeah. And more, more collaborative conversation rather like the sign behind you. Yeah, the way that we've traditionally done things. I'm going to turn it over to Madison because I know she had some some stuff to contribute around what Judy was saying. And then we'll talk about somebody else's experience in bullying too. Thanks so much for sharing, Judy. So a few things. One, Judy, I was blown away by you saying that after two years of being bullied, you go and hire that's a very real thing. But I'm curious what you learned when bringing on that relationship coach and how you might've managed those two years differently. Because I think coaching is something that we need to dig into more. But since you brought it up, would love to hear more about kind of those experiences. I credit the launch of my most successful business because I hired a relationship coach. So I will just say 1000% would have made that decision sooner if I had known that that hiring of a relationship coach to help you work through and go back through childhood trauma, not because it was therapy, but because it was trying to unlock 
why was I silent for two years? Where was the dynamic for me to quote unquote, suck it up, which comes from, I mean, I was raised by a pretty amazing father. I will give him tons of credit, but, and he has a, I don't know how to say it, but a, without bringing up all our history, but there is an entire generational, um, history in my family of quote unquote, sucking it up without bringing up a ton of stuff, but we are gypsy Polish, which was part of, um, anyways, I don't want to get into too much trauma, but do you know where I'm talking about as far as, um, during the war, my grandparents escaped is basically what happened and they were safe and they were able to come to the U S but that's how I'm able to be one of the only people in that entire generational line that survived. So all family is gone. And that's why my dad has a, we are so lucky to be here and you will take any advantage that you have been given. So it's almost like this sense of being grateful that I have a job, Mm -hmm. being grateful that I am okay. And I have health insurance. So it's finding these gratitudes, but yet I still wanted more. And it's like, should I get more? when I, it's so, it's such an interesting dynamic of just suck it up and you're doing amazing. Does that make yeah, sense? How, but how, it may. how did you get to the, to the, the words relationship coach? Because I mean, I, I mean, I admire that you chose that, but I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I have trouble connecting the dots, how you got from, I put my finger on a desk and, 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 and put my foot down to read relationship coach because there are a lot of other coaches a lot of names and then and then and then just explain what is a relationship coach after you do um uh so i went through a divorce and that launched into i need to get a full-time job and that was the full-time job that i got and i kind of how do i say this i had like that moment in time where i put my finger on my desk and i immediately went into what do I know? What do I know like deep inside? And my initial gut instinct was I need to figure out what do, what is my part of the relationships that I'm having that I can either see and spot red flags mm-hmm. more easily. And mm-hmm. I have the correct response to red flags mm-hmm. prior to me saying, yes, it's health insurance. Yes, it's this. Is there another mm-hmm. way to also mm-hmm. live? Because I was raised, like I said, by amazing lineage and amazing people, but I was also raised to look for not the red flags, but to look just for health insurance. Right, 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 right. I don't know if that makes sense, but but not taking on the acceptance of the bully because you you may start to look inward, but it's not your fault that you were bullied. Correct. And I didn't want to, I wasn't giving them power to say I needed to accept it. I just wanted to find ways that I could, there's always going to be bullies out there. And that's Mm -hmm. the, that's the conclusion I came to. I'm not Mm going to fix her, but how could I have, did I have some red flags? There were some red flags, even when I was interviewing, there were not very big red flags, but enough for me to go, there could have been, or could I ask better questions? What curious questions should you ask? How can you, I mean, I started reading FBI training books on how to tell if somebody's lying. Like I got an entire library now on how to read body language, how to figure out people before 
you need to figure something out. Like I wanted to get as far forward in relationships as I could. Yeah. And, that, and, and I think that, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I was just gonna say, my, my, my daughter came back from an interview and said that she liked the place and, and the place looked good, but she she felt there was a red flag from the manager and, and, and aggression. And so she wasn't going to take the job. And I was so proud of her because I, I think choosing where you work by those, you know, it doesn't get better than the interview, right? So if you see any flags in the interview, then you, you, you that that I need insurance, I need to pay my rent. You somehow have to balance it to those red flags really mean a life of misery. Might as well, let's get to another interview. Let's get another job. Well, and I think yeah. a lot of this conversation also boils down to how we talk about mental health in our workplaces, right? And so, mm -hmm. you know, Madison, I want to, I'm going to share my story in a minute, but I want to sort of throw it over to you. Do you think there's still a lack of understanding. Are we seeing more people like what, what should, and we'll probably get into this a little bit later, but yeah, are we seeing a, more of a lack of understanding? Are we, are we seeing more people, you know, looking for it, looking at it, you know, really understanding what's happening? Because I feel like, you know, we talk about bullying a lot in schools. We don't talk about workplace bullying all that much. And a lot of times, you know, we, um, put the responsibility on HR, which I don't know if that's really the right way to go. I mean, that's traditionally what's happened. No, it, it shouldn't be HR's sole responsibility to manage full-grown adults that should be taking accountability for their traumas. Um, I do know that for sure. Where I think current programs are missing the mark present day. It's bullying has been this thing that folks have done since the beginning of time. There's always been um, a struggle as it pertains to power dynamics amongst different groups of people. But when you take that plus we're now in year two of a global pandemic, we're now isolated for periods of time far more significant than we've ever been. We've got a lot going on in these streets socio-politically. So you're managing this very, very nasty cocktail of depression, mental health challenges that were preceding this period of time, plus a lot of post-traumatic stress disorder. When you think about what our, our Black community or Asian Pacific, um, Asian American Pacific Islander communities are going through right now, there's a lot that needs to be addressed in the way of mental health. Um, that's what makes it tough to construct a program that meets all of the, the current needs from where I sit. Madison, it, what's interesting, and because you bring up how the pandemic is impacting people mentally and, and, and the remote distancing and, and remote work, but Microsoft had an interesting survey on the workplace during the pandemic that it, and the most interesting part for me about it is that managers felt things were going pretty well. And when you compare it to the workers, right? And, and, and one of the explanations I heard from that is that um, 
they're isolated from the day-to-day nuances that you normally get when you pass someone in the hallway, right? Because these Zoom meetings don't have enough, you know, people arrive and then they start. And they, they, they're not, there's not enough five minutes of how was your weekend, Bill? And where did you go with your, your daughter, Jane? And, and how is, you know, the, there's none of that small talk. You, the meeting start, they end. You don't pass people getting a glass of water on the way out or in from lunch to say, how is your day? How are you doing? There's no pulsing of what people's lives are like. And that's missing from this remote learning, uh, this remote work. And uh, it plays into what you're talking about there. Absolutely. And I've seen an increase in even cyberbullying because I spend a lot of time tap dancing across LinkedIn. It's very easy to say something very visceral and then log off. Right. You don't have Mm -hmm. to you don't have to manage that. And even on a Zoom call, it's easy for me to say something very hurtful and then just exit the Zoom. Right. And Mm -hmm. so we don't have that sensitivity to okay, now I have to look this person in the eye. Now I have to pass by them in the context of a hallway or a street. Um, it, it, it's it's so different now and it's yeah. easier to be aggressive and bully and say things that we don't have to sit around and wait to see if it's stuck or not. So maybe this means- When, when, when someone does to, that, I'm, I'm when, sorry, when we get back to go more ahead, business travel and we see the whites of each other's eyes in person, then maybe we'll do less of that. And it proves how much everybody needs to get back to business traveling. Now, go go out there and buy a plane ticket. (laughs) (laughs) Grant wants to go back to normal. (laughs) On on LinkedIn, when someone places something aggressive in the comments, I usually DM them and and call it what it is, right? And, And I think this is an important part about bullying. I think one way, you know, when people say, how do you deal with bullying, right? And, and sometimes it's just, it's very hard to do. One, because you go in that childhood place of fear and, and, and you're not rational anymore, right? You, you, you go home and you say, why didn't I say this? Or why didn't I say that? Or how didn't I, you know, you play it back in your mind a thousand times, right? That, that, that saying, a cow, the coward dies a thousand times, the, the brave just die but once, right? And, and you, you feel that, you know, you relive that moment of, of non-conflict where but but i think naming things naming behaviors is very powerful and it doesn't work all of the time but it's amazing when you call people out and you did you really want to bully me harass me and try to avoid those words but you know did you really want to make me feel small did you really want me to feel horrible did you really want to take my power? I, there are words you can find to call out a behavior for what it is and reframe it. And often the bully will back off, reframe, maybe become more aware. It's a powerful thing, naming a behavior. Don't forget our, our technology has enabled this a bit because you just res- referred to a couple different bits of technology, LinkedIn, um, uh, video conferencing and so on. But then how are people dating today? They're dating on social applications and they are saying some pretty horrible things to each other, but they're also allowed to treat somebody on the other side of the, of, of the electronics as they're not even a human 
and I can say whatever I want because you won't be able to tra track me down and hold me accountable, which is cowardly behavior. Again, Everett's right. They die a thousand deaths. Every time they do that, it's like a little death and they kind of deserve it. But um, it's uh, we need to be able to find the bridge between passing each other in the hallway and acknowledging each other's humanity and being able to be that way when we're not in the hallway. And we haven't found this tech that maybe the technology is too new. My father never said to me, by the way, son, whenever you're on a dating app, make sure to, to, to tell the other person that they have lovely pecs or whatever, right? You know, say something nice. I was never brought up that way because it didn't exist. It's so fresh and so new. And to, to the degree that there's a certain generation now that never knew a life without this. That's, to me, that's crazy. And maybe Everett to, the, to you also, but, but we need to find a way to understand this whole issue. And this discussion is the perfect example of how to do it. And then transport it into both our work life and our friend life and our family life. It really has to become who we are and how we use it every day in every situation, not just saying, oh, well, I'm on a dating app. I'll just swipe left and tell her she's fat. Well, maybe she's happy with whatever form she has, and she's probably a fantastic person, and you're missing everything about her. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think, you and know, that's... Yet, because you're behind the screen, you can do that. Wrong. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, Sorry, such ahead, a, no, that's such an amazing point. And one of the things that I want to talk about in this discussion today is how do we call out? So first of all, you see the behavior, right? You might deny the behavior. You might rationalize the behavior and you might understand the behavior. And so whether it's cyberbullying, whether it's bullying in person, whatever that looks like, how do we face that as an outsider, right? Because we've all been in situations where we've been, you know, bullied, right? That's why we're on this, this um, particular episode or maybe haven't been bullied, but seen the bullying. How do we do that? How do we call that out? Because I've seen it anywhere from somebody being a complete jerk and not helping the situation to somebody being way too passive aggressive and just stoking the fire. What's that happy medium and how do we do that? I don't know, Madison, if you've got some you know, thoughts on maybe some words we can use or how to start that discussion or even what do we do internally where we see something like that and we're kind of unsure whether to say anything. One thing that I default to is one, if I see someone being bullied, I'm very quick to just full stop, full stop. What are we doing? What are we doing y'all? Um, but if I see something particularly on social, that's a bit more subtle, I will tend to send a private message and open it with a question. Hey, I'm getting the sense you might be going through something. Do you want to talk about it? Like that, that's how I tend to start. I'm also a sociology major. So I'm always approaching people from the standpoint, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt until I recognize that we, we need to just fight. We need to just go outside like we did back in the day and tussle for a minute and I can get you all the way together. 
Um, so that's my approach. And I tend to do it with a bit of light humor in my delivery because that's my personality. So it doesn't land so hard. Now, depending on the answer, I may or may not need to gather that person, but I always make someone aware that I'm watching, if that makes sense. And that's I just my, it. that's my position. I yeah. want to mention- I like Everett's way. Oh, Everett. Yeah, what your quote, I, 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 I time marked that because you said the coward dies, how many deaths? Like a thousand deaths and the hero, or what did you call the other person? The courageous uh, die but once. Yes. Yeah, so so I died once in a recent uh, interaction that was a result of all the work that I've done. And so it happened this past year. It actually happened a couple of months ago. It wasn't even that long ago where I was in a position again of being the power dynamic and potentially going to be bullied. Like I could see it. I was aware of what this person was campaigning behind my back. And I saw text messages so I could see what they sent, but they didn't know that I did it. And I said, shutting that down. They will not, they will not enter the space that I have created. I have worked my butt to create. So Madison, what you just said is I just was like, no, turn it into the light. Like everyone will see this. It's, but instead of, I held my ground in the sense that they kept saying, please share the text messages that you saw that I'm not, I didn't say anything, right? And I knew it was them, like uh, screenshots for days. I knew it was them. Um, and I said, here's the, this was my final, I was so excited. Can I be excited? Yes, <laughs> I'm so can. proud and like stepping, <clears throat> I didn't let it get to this is enough. I took action the moment I saw it, the moment I saw it, I was so proud. I was like walking around my house, like, oh, I got this. <laughs> but basically I said, this was the kicker. I said, look at your cell phone. If there's a text on that cell phone that you wish I hadn't seen, then you need to be aware that I've seen it. And I don't know which texts you've sent and which ones I've seen, and I'm not gonna let you know which ones. But if there's one that you wish I didn't see, just assume it's that one. Mm. and mic drop. And then I saw her text because she didn't show it to me, but she texted my inner circle person and said, turns out I was wrong, blah, blah, blah. And she sent a whole apology. And I got that screenshot and I was like, there you go. But she's now blocked on all social medias and because my power and my boundaries, but I was clear. I said, I will now take a strong reaction because that was completely unacceptable. What you texted behind my back. And yeah. if you were willing to do that, then, and you're, you have no ability to acknowledge that you did it. And I'm not afraid of, you're not going to gaslight me. You're not going to tell me I didn't see it. That that wasn't you. No, I've now seen the receipts. I now will say goodbye and I will block you. And she's the only person I've blocked on social media in a very long time, but so I, I think, blocked her. Yeah, you know, I think that that's, that's a really important thing to bring up is because you are really in control of the energy that you have around you. And that includes on social media. And if there is, you know, I've had experiences with um, a couple of individuals, you know, where, there has been some strong feelings and, you know, I've reached out to them and tried to make peace and really tried to talk through things. Some people just don't want to talk about it. You know, I've heard that they've said things behind my back and, 
you know, some people just don't want to have that conversation and they don't want it to be okay between the two of you. And you'll never understand why, like Everett was talking about before, but you do have control of your energy and the energy that surrounds you. And if that person isn't serving you in all sorts of ways, it's not necessarily about being right. It's about acknowledging your feelings and what you're going through and what are you, what your boundaries are and what's okay and what's not okay. And I think, you know, blocking is a really, is something that is very powerful that you can hold on to and you can help create your space. And a lot of people look at it as, at, in a negative connotation and some people won't do it because they feel like they're going to hurt somebody else's feelings. But at the end of the day, it's about what is going to help protect you and your energy and allow you the space in the room to be able to create and be who you need to be. And if that person doesn't serve you in any sort of way, shape or form, please press that block button because at the end of the day, that's in your power. So Grant, before we started this episode, you had talked about that you don't really have any stories of bullying, but you do have stories about how you've been able to call people out or you've been in situations where you've seen it and maybe been able to help. Can you give us some, some real life examples of what that looked like so that maybe people, and maybe you did it wrong, maybe you did it right, and maybe share that with us so people can understand you know, when they're in a situation like that, what they should be looking out for. I hope I did it right. And, you know, I did think of one situation where maybe I was being bullied a little bit, but I pushed back. It's just like Judy said, I pushed back immediately. I had a client that was particularly um, biased against uh, LGBTQ people. And the client at the very first private meeting before we went to the bigger group said, so tell me about your family. And it sounded like an innocent question, but I knew it wasn't. And I was waiting for it before I even got there because I knew this organization might be that way. And immediately I said, you know, it's, un it's irrelevant. Um, I adore my family. I'm very happy in my family life, but it's irrelevant to the great work I'm going to do for you. And wait till you see how much difference this program is going to be because you and I worked this program together. And immediately pushed and, and knew that behind that, there was more. And when I see these things coming, usually it's because I go into a situation and unfortunately, it's usually women being taken advantage of by men in the workplace or being undervalued. And so I go in frequently, uh, a woman will retain me and say, you know, I've got all these great ideas for my travel program in my corporation, but the, my male colleagues just think I'm a travel agent and they, they just discount me as if I'm just some little chippy. Well, it turns out she's not almost every single time. And she's really smart. And she's got, she, even if she didn't financially analyze it the way I would, she's got the right idea. And, and so what, what I go in and do is I, I see this as a bullying situation, that they're trying to bully her into being less than. And I immediately go in and say, here's some great ideas. Do you like them? 
and they tell me, well, yeah, these are great. I'm so glad you came out with these. I got them from this lady sitting right next to me. And if you're smart, you'll be listening to her a lot more because you just paid me $20,000 to do this consulting project and I will do a good job and I will return what you paid and way, way, way more. But you could have had it for nothing if you just listened to her. Now, obviously, that's working. That's talking myself out of a job. It's not a good thing to talk ourselves out of a job. So I, I try to find different ways to say the same thing. But I will not go away from the situation without that person being understood in that room by everybody in the room. And sometimes, I, I hate to say this, by a little bit of force because I push it on them. But I think sometimes by doing that, you can give somebody an aha moment. And yeah. by saying, you're missing this. And if you would give this some credence, you would have a better experience here and everybody would, and you would have a better result. And it, the answer was sitting in front of you. Yeah. And this is not about this lady. This is about whatever it is that you're not that you're not doing. I'll let you figure that out yourselves. But you're not valuing this person, whoever it is, could be could be a child. You're not valuing this person enough. I've yeah. seen my kid get bullied at a school I pay a lot of money for. I will not have that. I'm yeah. behind her every way, every step of the way. When she messes up, I say, you know what? You didn't do your homework. You know what? Somebody yelled at you today. It's probably because you didn't do your part. But the way they yelled at you, let's talk about that. What was it that they said? They called you in front of the class and read out your grade in front of the class and told you that wasn't a good one. Mm. There's a different thing. And the equivalent happens in the workplace. So when you see it, you have to take your personal power and say, I can bring you to a better place. And you have to help these people find that better place. So I went into school and I said, I want a meeting of all the instructors here. All of my kids instructors, I don't care about the other ones at this moment, right? But I'm identifying the situation and I'm saying, I, I literally said to them, you're the adults in the room. I expect more of you on this and I know it's in you. I have the faith that if you look at whatever this behavior was, you may have had a bad day, I don't care. You don't get to take it out on a defenseless person, right. my child in this case, right? Yet I will not fight her battles for her. We also back and forth. So how's that going to go tomorrow when you see that kid that bullied you today? So let's, I'll be that kid and you be you. And I'm going to say this and you're going to react. And then we discuss it through. And I think we can do that in the workplace too, is we can imagine in advance how can we how can we uh, conquer this person's distaste in themselves that they have to be so bad mm -hmm. to me? How, how, em, how empowering really find is that? that you can. Yeah. How, how empowering it's is that fabulous. grant? Like that, Love that it. is amazing. I'm so glad that you shared that. I think Madison, you were going to jump in with something. No, I, I, I was saying that's exactly it. <laughs> that's exactly it. Awesome. I, I, I think in a workplace, we have to really understand there are three dynamics going on, right? There is the aggressor who is doing the bullying or harassment, and then there's the recipient who's 
power is and and and, and perception is at play. And then there's the either supervisor or team members who are collaborating by being witnesses and the action they do or do not take, right? And and that dynamic is is very powerful. But what happens is the person on the receiving end has some responsibility to share how they're feeling. And because their reaction is coming from their personal experiences that we all don't share, right? And so that's one of the challenges of the team members is they don't have shared common experiences in a workplace like you do in a family or you do in a community where you grew up. You have very different experiences and it's it's quite presumptive to, to think that other people have the same history as you do, especially when we come from diverse backgrounds, diverse areas, rose up to the place where we are in different ways. And, and, and how, you know, when we talk about teaching about diversity, I think we also have to just bring a greater awareness of this background stuff that is where people are coming from. But it's the person who's receiving who somehow has to try to communicate so that there's more awareness how they feel, right? And, and like I, I mentor student athletes and, and, and women who move from being athletes to careers. And, and I'm surprised sometimes by some women who I felt were really strong. They, they participated in Muay Thai or boxing or, or rugby or physical sports where, you know, they they were they showed no fear and they they you know they they you know they um they would wear a black eye with pride and, and these kinds of things from their sports and their activities and all these other things but how they were so sensitive on issues on relationships or interactions with others how they were easily bullied by others when and I, I had trouble reconciling that because I perceive them as strong people. And so I, I think we have to figure out as managers to understand how do people feel? How are they being received? How are they as recipients? So then we can bridge that communication to others, you know, privately, you know, why was something wrong or inappropriate or had the impact? Because I mean, some of this is very, the bullying and harassment, the party in doing this knows what they're doing. Sometimes they don't. And that's why naming it and calling it is important, but you can't name it and call it unless you have some interaction or some way of drawing out from the recipient, from the person who seems to just take it all the time, instead of coming up to them, encouraging them and saying, you know, why are you taking it all the time? Ask more probing questions of, how did they feel when they were that was happening? I mean, there's a big difference between how do you feel and why do you take it, right? Yeah. Why do you take it is is very presumptive. How do you feel is open ended and invites them to share something that would not be shared if you said, "Why did you take it?" Yeah, I think you bring up a couple of different points there that I. I, I heard from what you said. One of them is bias, which we talk all the time about in DEI or hiring and things like that. And I think it really comes into play when we're having a conversation around bullying 
and having a discussion between members of your team about how they're feeling about something and what the perception is of them as a human being and whether you believe them or not, right? Because bias has a lot to do with whether we believe what they're saying or not and how the other person actually understands and hears their story. So bias plays a huge role in bullying. I think the other thing that you brought up was training. I think we need to have a lot more training for our leaders, for our teams, not only just in DEI, but we need to look at conflict resolution and how do we have these discussions so that somebody can speak their truth and feel heard and the other person doesn't take it personally and uses their insecurities to ramp up that discussion to a level that nobody wants. Let me add a word in here, if you don't mind. Unconscious bias. Yep. We have a training session we put together for our DEI committee that we're going to offer to the association called Understanding Your Unconscious Bias. So much of it, you don't realize is there, but you should. And, and the training you're talking about should bring that out and help you understand where are you coming from help you try to understand where the other person's coming from and exactly put it together. I agree, but unconscious. Yeah. Sometimes it's unconscious. And the words that I also hear is uh, the drama triangle. And that's part of the coaching that I coach now is how to move away from a drama triangle to a leadership triangle because the victim is being bullied and they, when they stand up for themselves, they sometimes all of a sudden become as if they're the persecutor because I've experienced that and I've watched that happen on TikToks now, which is, I have to say that platform has allowed me to see live video from people just living their lives way more than any other site I've experienced. So if anyone thinks that's just dancing, it is not, it is getting, <laughs> it is getting on the ground access to dynamics happening it's the original when, reality show right? yeah, when somebody pulls out a camera and one interesting thing i just have to mention that i saw happen was a woman was experiencing she had a break-in at her home and she was afraid and i saw the camera second video she uploaded showing her home camera and this man was trying to break into her home and i mean gut-wrenching fearful as a single woman and oh, so scary, right? So she called the police and I'm not trying to get into anything like that, but for her and her experience with her neighbors and seeing that on video, her voice was, I'm afraid, I'm full of fear, but she was not trying to turn and yell at everybody, but her language was so, like, it's so interesting that all of a sudden she seemed to be seen as aggressive where I was like, she just got broken into. Her response is her response. Her voice and her high pitch and her yelling, she's supposed to control that now. So that's where Everett, what you were just saying really resonated where it's like all of a sudden the person who was afraid is supposed to be told, this is how you're supposed to talk for us to take action on your fear and on your pain. That reminds me of the workplace. All this bullying that's been done to you we now expect you to handle it a particular way. Yeah, no. Well, and that's that's the cool. one thing that I was going to say about whatever it said was that okay, responsibility, okay, <laughs> you were saying <laughs> that the responsibility lands with the recipient. And I feel like the responsibility needs to be shared 
because everybody has a responsibility in this type of situation. Yes, the person or the recipient or the victim or whatever you want to call them has a responsibility to understand what they're feeling and be able to talk about what they're feeling. But I think the, on the other hand, everybody else has a responsibility to also manage their emotions and manage I agree with their that. responses. I, 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 I yeah. agree with that. But, but you also have to, you know, the reality of the situation. In a perfect world, you're absolutely right. But the reality of the situation is that since we, you know, the counterbalance of being awareness that people come from different places and there's diversity and such, the counter, counterbalance to that is that people who have diverse experiences need to figure out ways to share that in a meaningful way yes. so that others can have empathy for their situation. And not everybody is empathetic, right? And I understand that. I, I tend to be more on the empathetic scale than, than, than a lot of other people. It's just the way I, I live my life, right? But, but I have a natural ability where I can feel what other people feel. They don't always have to communicate with me. But I do recognize that I'm, it took me a long time, right? I mean, decades before I realized everybody doesn't see the world like I see it. And I thought, I thought everybody saw it like I thought. I thought everybody was empathetic. I thought everybody was kind of (laughs) smart. I thought everybody saw these different connections in the world that that I would see, right? And they don't, right? And also, you know, I say to my kids a lot, and I heard it once, and I truly believe it. You know, don't worry about what other people think about you because they don't. They don't think about you. They're only thinking about themselves, right? And we spend so much of our time, especially with today's social media and other things and TikTok and Snapchat and other things, worrying about how many likes we have and what people think and what people think about us. And the fact of the matter is they don't think about us most of the time. And, And anybody outside of your immediate five friends and immediate family they don't. They think about them, and everything is framed from their point of view, and and that's also has to go into this training that 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 you mentioned. Yes. You know, this this ability to reframe things from other people's point of view. Yeah. So that Madison, is- you and I could go down a very not too deep rabbit hole here because you identified as queer, identified as gay. <laughs> Society has told us how to react and how to be gay and queer in public so that we shouldn't be too offensive, right? Correct. A form of bullying, isn't it? It is. So how do you react to that? I'm sorry to, to take the to pose a question to another panel member. I know Sarah, you're supposed to be posing the question. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is all of our, this is We're all, all fair game. Now. You can ask questions of everybody. This conversation could go to like midnight. <laughs> <laughs> So hit it, Madison. Yeah, for me, um, it, it's interesting because I could argue I've got a little privilege here in terms of how I uh, land on the spectrum because I can pass as a number of different ways. I've certainly um, dated both men and women, but my dress tends to be a little more neutral, right? And so... I I have more so experienced being amongst a group of people that has been bullied versus kind of more isolated incidents because I can pass as a lot of different things. Um, but it's, it, it's, it's tough, it, it's tough. Um, 
last week I had a lot of conversation about this because we were celebrating um, International Day of Pink, which is designed to raise awareness of folks in the LGBTQI plus community around cyberbullying. But I think at the end of the day, it all stems from a lack of understanding around how the different flavors of, of queer shows up in this country and abroad. And that's what it stems from, just a lack of overall education, I think. I think that that's, yeah, I think that that's a, a key point is the education. We've learned a lot of that in the last year, especially, you know, when it comes to the BLM movement, which Madison, you and I talked about on a on ep a couple of episodes ago, and how important that education is. And I think we all have a responsibility to not only ourselves, but each other to understand what our triggers are and how we feel about certain things and do our own work. And then we can show up and, and, you know, be there for other people to help them do their work as well, or help, help each other through difficult conversations and different difficult challenges that come up on a day to day. And I think these challenges come up so much more frequently than they used to, because people are, are identifying in a variety of different ways. They're owning their truth. They're owning themselves and they want to be able to walk in their truth where traditionally we haven't been able to because it's not something that we spoke about or it's just not something that we dealt with or you know and I, I think we have to be a little bit more empathetic um absolutely but we need to talk about it we can't be afraid to talk about it anymore and I think when it comes to bullying there's way too much fear out there. And so being aware of the people around you and what's going on around you, things that people are saying, and if it doesn't sit well with you, saying something, but understanding how you say it and how you approach the subject and things like that. I agree. And this is the thing too, Grant, just thinking about your question also, you know, we're socialized to believe that being a man shows up a certain way being a woman has to show up a certain way, being black has to show up a certain way. And I think that's what drives um, many's propensity to, to bully or be microaggressive because we are programmed to think that there's only one way that a certain type of identity has to show up. And that's where you get into the unconscious and conscious bias that people have against people like other people and so it's checking our premises really yeah. and so why where were we socialized to think you know that all black people like a certain type of food or that you know and, and it, it goes on and on and on but it, it's wild but then it's so much more subtle big, sorry go ahead sorry grant passing is a big is a big word that you used yeah pass for different things I get to pass for being a man because I look ma masculine, right? Yeah. I get to pass for obviously being Caucasian. That is an advantage. I can't help it. I, it's just born that way. And people may or may not know what happens when I go home. None of their business doesn't matter. But what they're imagining about us is where that unconscious bias or conscious bias, to your point, comes in. It's really a danger 
and the end, Sarah, you're right, education is all of it. Because when I look at the way, when I came out, I was 23. And in those years, we were not supposed to use the word gay. So in Virginia, we called our, our friend, a friend of mine, I would make jokes about her all the time. Um, uh, his aunt, uh, she, she would say, oh, I'm so glad you brought your confirmed bachelors for lunch this Sunday, your confirmed bachelor friends. We couldn't say gay. Today, we can say queer. And today, I can enjoy this and that and the other and whatever because I'm a good person and that's what really matters. Yes. And what people imagine, it should be that should be a problem. Just stop imagining. Just know that that's a person you're dealing with and they have trauma like you do maybe and they have biases like you do. Let's get all around it and let's just be people together. That's why in DEI, I like the word inclusion the best because I see it as a path. You start with having diversity, celebrating diversity, giving people equity, and eventually you'll end up in the goal, which is inclusion. And if we just be inclusive, all of these other things become less of a thing and because we're being inclusive in our daily lives and nobody has to put their finger on the table and say this stops here. And curious. I think curious is a really, really yes. important, important word to use here as yes. well that we don't hear many times in bullying okay. or DEI or whatever, but the word curious and just have that curiosity and, and learn you know, about different things and different cultures and the way people live. Um, Everett, did you want to just put in one last thought before we move on? Yeah, sorry yeah. I cut you off earlier, Everett. No, 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 no. It, it's just that training is not as easy as it sounds when you use the word training, right? Because it, it I, I've seen it because my, my, my children are, are not Caucasian like me. Right, they're mixed race, right? And and I it it was hard for me to wrap my mind around their experience being so different than mine in the same place where I live, right? Because people just react differently to me when I I mean I go into a store, I go in the restaurant, I mean anywhere I go, my experience is different than their experience. I mean, it's, and, and I've observed it. And if I didn't observe it, I wouldn't be able to really appreciate it. No amount of teaching, no amount of slides, no amount of, 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 of training would be able to prepare me for what I physically observed. And still I observed it secondhand because, I mean, I just observed how their they were treated differently than me. And as a father, I felt really upset about, right? Because it shouldn't be different than me. It should be the same as me, right? But I still didn't have their experience. I just observed that what the experience was different and inappropriately so from what I experienced. And <clears throat> that's a tough thing to communicate. You, you have to find ways that people's power is removed so they feel that sense and this very difficult thing to do in training. Um, and to yeah. be sure that training comes in many different forms. Look at TV shows. They help train our culture to be better with gay people, for example, or to be better with black people or to be better with Hispanic people. Just media can do that, but we can also have formal or informal or 
or our, our religious leaders saying, you know what, we all have to get along together. Muslim people and Jewish people, I know you've fought for years and years, you need to get together. And we're getting together, right? So it has to come from different angles. And yeah, no amount of training is enough. I agree. And you can't just train it out of people. Everett's 100% correct. Yeah, I think, you know, on-hand experience goes a long way. And I also think with training, understanding is the big word. The wanting to understand, you know, the reflection and understanding is going to be a huge part of whether training is going to be successful or not. Yes, on-hand experience is priceless, but I think understanding is a huge part of training. I mean, look, I was, I was bullied since grade five right? I had a guy throw his pocket lint at me during Canada for probably over a year. And then the whole class, you know, chased me down the field and swore at me and all sorts of stuff. You know, it wasn't a very good, you know, childhood. And, and the fact that I was bullied from grade five all the way to grade 12, and that actually came into my adulthood. And then it also translated into the workplace because I worked for my father and there was a lot of people that were jealous of that and would say all sorts of things when I was in a sales, a sales meeting to say, oh, you can't talk about that when she's in the room, you know, and different things like that. And it translates all throughout your life. But what I think is the most important is being able to take a look at your experiences and what you've experienced, how that's made you feel and how that translates into your reactions today. And if you, we all take responsibility for what that looks like for ourselves, then I think we can really make an impact moving forward on business in general and supply chain and how we interact with each other because it's always going to start with ourselves. So we are winding down on this. And so I want each of you to give me one takeaway, either a tangible action step that people can take, either something that you learned from the conversation today, or something that you want the audience to walk away from, what would that one thing be? So Judy, I'm going to start with you because we haven't really heard from you in a little bit. I am sensing, and I've heard this before online, but just normalizing having conversations that don't solve the problem, but can bring up the issues without knowing where the final solution lays, because is there a final resting point for any of this? It's a continuous spectrum of everything that we just said. And it starts with being willing to open up, have tough conversations, or just open up without the solution and saying, I, st I still have an issue here. This is still a problem. This is still happening today. Yeah, we have to hold so much normalization for that because I feel like there's always this sense of let's solve it, solve, solve, solve. And we can't live and solve because it's still happening. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Going into it without having a solution in mind and just sort of seeing how it plays out. I mean, listen, if you guys are listening to this, 
this interview, we started out with a whole script and we haven't used any of it. And this is the way the conversation has gone. And I have learned so much. So I'm sure that all of you have probably learned so much. And we just went off script without a solution in mind, without a general idea of where this conversation was going to go. And look at the magic that has happened today in just creating a safe space for people to feel heard. Grant, over to you. What's your one takeaway? Um, it brings me back to something I learned as a kid that I hope everybody learns as a kid. Uh, and at the risk of, you know, please don't take this as being too pushy religious, but you should treat other people the way you want to be treated. It comes down to that. And it can't, I don't know any other way to say it better, but when I hear everything that everybody presented today, that's all I keep hearing over and over again is that one singular message. And if you focus on it, and I try every day, right? I don't always succeed, but I try every day. And this, this discussion made me more, res more resolute in the pursuit of that one line. Awesome. I love that. Thank you so much, Grant. Everett. Thank you. I think the one thing that I take away is that if we look at training for managers and, and training in a workplace, I think we should probably <clears throat> look into trauma training, training to, instead of focusing on diversity and experiences and other things, which are all valid and important. I think if we're going to take one issue and make a difference in the workplace, it's really how to manage people who've had trauma in their lives because, uh, when we were foster parents, we did a lot of training on trauma because every child in foster care has experienced trauma in some way. It was a very big, important part of our training for my wife and I when we were doing home studies and such. And that training has carried me through different companies I've started, different teams I've formed, whether the volunteer teams or professional teams. Um, and I found... <laughs> The, the training for raising my kids has been one of the best employee employees are not kids that you but 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 because the training was around trauma i think it better prepared me for a lot of things that i've experienced and and then my one takeaway is that maybe we should be focused on how do we introduce this sensitivity to trauma and dealing with trauma in the workplace historical trauma not the trauma at the moment and, and how that unfolds in behaviors. I love that because I can tell you, you know, I didn't tell you the whole story, but just from a little bit of my story, it's trauma that I've carried through my whole life and has shown up in a variety of different ways. And I am an advocate for therapy and I've had therapy for a very long time. And I'll talk, talk about it till the cows come home because I think that it's extremely important but I also think that I am really interested in doing that trauma training because, you know, like I said before, it all starts with us. Madison, last but absolutely not least, I want to give you the last word before I do my outro. Well, it's interesting. I had a certain mindset that I was about to bring to this question and ev everyone has covered it. Um, I absolutely think we need to normalize uh, therapy in the workplace, particularly with leaders. So I did want to double click on that. Um, and even Grant's comment about uh, what we call the golden rule. I think an extension of that, once you've checked your trauma as a professional, you can also feel empowered to treat people the way they 
want to be treated as well. And I think both of those can kind of work in parallel um, as, as we mature in our journey, because this is a human experience at the end of the day. So that's yeah. what I'll say. Absolutely. I love that. Well, thank you so much to Grant Everett, Judy, and of course, my co-host Madison for joining me today. You know, it was a pretty personal topic for me this month, but that is the point of this show. You know, opening up, getting vulnerable and putting these dialogues out into the world to encourage others to do the same. In 2021, I mean, honestly, there really should not be any excuse for adult bullying. But really, I really think this is an issue that we can influence, that we can change, that we just all need to be clear and committed and do the work. Thanks again to our sponsors, Ships, Apex, and Fair Market for helping to make this show happen. We really appreciate you. And don't forget to join us again next time for episode nine of Blended, more lively and important discussions around diversity and inclusion.